Hi, this is Mauro Porcini and this is the Service Design Show. Hi everyone, my name is Mark Fontaine and welcome to a new episode of the Service Design Show podcast. If you want to create more impact as a service designer and change the world for the better, then you've come to the right place because on this show you get the chance to learn from some of the world's best service designers. On the show we talk about topics ranging from design thinking and customer experience to organizational change and creative leadership. If these are the topics you're interested in, be also sure to check out our YouTube channel and Facebook page where you'll find more content that's not included in the podcast. So head over to servicedesignshow.com slash YouTube and servicedesignshow.com slash Facebook. And I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn so we can stay in touch via that channel. My guest in this episode is the Chief Design Officer at PepsiCo, Mauro Porzini. For the next 30 minutes, Mauro will be talking about should design drive innovation? And if it does, what are the key characteristics of true design innovators? And finally, how do you successfully bring in a new design culture to life in an existing organization? So that was it for the introduction. And now let's jump straight into the interview with Mauro. Welcome to the show, Mauro. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's uh, the people who are listening to the podcast can't see it, but you're in Manhattan and I'm in Utrecht, both almost the same, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they're both charming locations, right? Manhattan and, uh, and, and the beautiful Canal of Holland, yeah. beautiful yeah. places. Mauro, I asked this question to everybody on the show, but I, I don't know if you have the answer. I'm really curious. Do you remember the very first time you got in touch with the term service design? Uh, it was a university. Oh. I, I was studying in Milan uh, in the 90s, and Polytechnic of Milan was pretty advanced on, on design. It was so much on, more yeah. products and, and, and nice packaging. And so service design was really part of the way of thinking and learning uh, at Polytechnic. Hmm. And uh, this was back in 19... I started in 1994, and, and one of the key advocates of service design, I remember, was Ezio Manzini. Mm. Uh, so he's one of the key leaders of the university, one of our professors, and, and he was really, really passionate about this idea of service design. Mm. It's good to know that, uh, that we're on the same level, so I'm happy to have your topics here. You gave me three really interesting topics, and I gave you some question starters, and it's up to you to make the questions as hard or as easy for you as you want, right? Are you ready? Go. Okay, I'll, I'll do them in a random order because it's Monday morning for you and um, you're still have a fresh mind. So the first topic I'll pick is design. Does design drive innovation or do you have a question starter? Why? <laughs> so why does design drive innovation? Or, or why does design should drive innovation? You know, when you go to conferences, you read books on design, um, it feels like we should drive innovation, we own innovation, because what we do is all about deeply understanding people, their needs, wants, and dreams, and then understanding our companies or the brands we work for, so understanding the business strategy, 
connecting the two insights, what are, you know, what is relevant for people and what is relevant for a business, and then leveraging our tools, the ability to prototype, to do, to create, uh, we dream and then we create and then we execute solutions for, for this, for all of this. So by definition, what is that? It's innovation. It's what any company call innovation. So now you go back to these organizations, to these big corporations or small enterprises, and you look at the people that drive innovation in these companies, and the most of the time is R&D, so it's science, or it's yes. marketing, it's business. There are yeah. entire teams, legions of business innovation people. And often designers don't play that kind of role. So, and the two end of the spectrum is we do own innovation, we own anything, or the other end of the spectrum is we work on uh, graphic design, on product design, we work on the aesthetic of things, we work on putting that lipstick on the peak. So those are the two extremes. And there is a lot in the middle. The problem is that do we want to own innovation? Because only innovation means a series of responsibilities that we need to take over on the strategy of the business, on being accountable for specific return on investments, on a variety of different uh, tasks that are not core on what we do, doing things and understanding people. And the problem is that if we don't do that, if we just uh, put ourselves on the front end of innovation, on the understanding of people, we miss a key role that eventually can cripple our ability to really change the game. And the role is the role of prioritizing what is relevant or not for that innovation process. You know, if we don't take decision on what to go to market with, then other people with a different background will need to take that kind of decision. And then we will have problems because they won't understand what we eventually see as a community. And when I talk about this, many people, you know, uh, push back and eventually, you know, tell me, well, but innovation is by definition cross-functional. And I totally agree. You need all the different backgrounds and functions in that. But at the end of the day, you need somebody leading it. And that person is to have a specific kind of background. And it's not just one person, but in a big organization like ours with thousands and thousands of people, you need multiple leaders. Are those leaders parts of the design community or they're part of, of the innovation, business innovation or the innovation community? That's the critical question we need to ask ourselves as professional and as a community. <clears throat> Super interesting because I think a lot of designers struggle to actually take that responsibility. Yes, I mean, uh, often because we don't have the skills, we're not trained to do the, that. The business, business skills. Yeah, the business skills, the finance skill, the pure finance strategy skill. Other times we don't want to do that because it's not fun. I yeah, mean, to, yeah. you know, to understand how to execute something, you know, all the constraints from a manufacturing standpoint, and, but not a macro level. A macro level is easy. No, you know, making your hands dirty and really working it, you know, with the factories to understand how to manufacture something, working uh, up front on the that financial. Um, a strategy, being accountable for X millions or hundreds of millions or sometimes billions of dollars of innovation pipeline. So all of those areas are things that either we take over and we decide to own them with experts under them, under us, but we need to, you know, manage them, 
or we decide not to, and we decide to play the role of the challengers, the influencers, that could be a totally legitimate role. The problem is that you need to have on the other side a business leader that understands what you're talking about and then empower you to do the right thing. And sometimes it does happen. Take a company like Apple, for instance. Uh, other times it doesn't happen. And that's where the, tra- the, you know, the, the, the problems come. And then most of the time it doesn't happen. So at, at what moment did you get the feeling that uh, at, at PepsiCo you got the uh, opportunity to actually take that role? And at what, at, what, what was the turning point? What was the shift that they said, okay, design is going to lead innovation? You know, even at PepsiCo, we are in a journey. Uh, we are in a dialogue among innovation leaders, you know, me with a design background, but we have business people, we are R&D people in the organization as well. So the the good thing at PepsiCo is that it's a very healthy dialogue and design is listened to. And so I am finding, you know, a specific situation driven by specific leaders now in the company uh, that allow us to, to, to impact the way we do innovation. But it takes time. It takes really time. And you know, you, you need to uh, build as many proof points as possible. You need to show what, you know, your vision and how your vision can impact the, the company. And proof point after proof point, then and just then, the company will start to realize that they need to give you more uh, possibilities to really help and drive innovation with them at the beginning and then more and more to take ownership. But again, we are in a journey. I cannot say that design drive innovation in the company, we are, but we are a very, very important player together with other parts of the organization and probably more advanced than many other uh, organizations we see out there in this. Let's, let's move on to topic number two. And uh, maybe we touched already upon this one. And uh, I just written down really quickly, so I hope I spelled it right. Uh, it's characteristics. Do you have a question starter that goes along with this one? Who are? Who are these design thinkers? What are, what are the characteristics of these design thinkers? Well, they are, before anything else, dreamers um, and entrepreneurs. So not just dreamers, dreamers imply the ability to think big, to think uh, the future, to envision the future, to dream the future. Entrepreneurs imply the ability to transform that in action, in, in doing things. The dream is the potential, is linked to intuition and vision. And, and this idea of entrepreneurship is, is the ability to transform that dream and that intuition in something concrete that people can interact with. Mm. So, so connected to that, you need people that are curious. Curiosity is the key characteristic of any design thinker. Curiosity pushes you to ask questions, to look at something that everybody looks at with different eyes, with the eyes of a kid, with the naivete of a kid. And, and so and curiosity is linked to traveling, to reading, to talking with people, to networking. Uh, it all starts within when they ask me what inspires you the inspiration comes from within and then you can unlock inspiration you know anything out there is a catalyst but it all starts from within with that kind of curiosity then you need to 
you need to absolutely have um, resilience. Uh, you need to be resistant and optimistic because if you're really changing things, you will face tons of roadblocks. If you don't find roadblocks, it means you're not changing anything. Right, right. So you need to have that kind of mindset that every time you find a roadblock, you go back to your dream and you get the energy you need in your dream because often you know you find those difficulties during the day and, and that you need to overcome and probably you cannot get energy out of those actually they take you down and if you think about us as designers you know more technically we need to be holistic designers uh, you know you go to school for industrial design for graphic design for uh, architecture and craftsmanship yeah and and while in reality Design leaders today, the leaders that can help big and small enterprises to succeed, need to have a vision of design that is 360 degrees. Because those brands uh, are going to be on stage 24-7 on every touch point. So it's the product, it's the packaging, it's communication, it's digital, it's physical experiences, and therefore it's architecture, interior design, user experience. It's all these aspects. And as, as designers, we need to art direct and, and coordinate all of this with the brands where we have that exist. And if you think about innovation, so the new products and new brands uh, that could come to life, we need to envision brands across every touch point. And then we need to be business savvy. Uh, you know, this idea of the designer that is this creative mind and dress weird and is totally disconnected from the business, it, it's okay, but it's wrong in the meantime. It's okay because, yes, there will be people that are not business savvy, that have a creativity that is unbelievable, and we want them in our mm -hmm. context. We want them in PepsiCo, we want them. Mm. But they play a specific role. You put them in a bucket and you let them go. Uh, but if we as a community, we want to impact and influence the business, if we want to change the world, if we want to create value for people and society, then we need to interface ourselves with the business. So we need designers that can talk that kind of language, that can interact with the business world, and that can articulate the value of what we do for them so that they can empower us to change the world. Even for the one that like, you know what, I'm a designer, I just care about the, doing amazing things, cool things, I don't wanna be a slave of business, I don't wanna be a slave of marketing. Even for those, if you wanna do great things that can, people can enjoy, that rich people, you need the business as a gate to get to those people. So even for you, visionary designer, that you wanna just do good for the world, you need the business to reach people and do good for it's the a world. Tool. It's a tool, right? Correct. It's a platform, it's a tool, it's a gate. Hmm. What do you think is the most, un because you named a lot of characteristics, what do you think is the most undervalued one from the designer's point of view? What do we take for granted? Can you rephrase the question? I just want to make sure I understand. Yeah, I think, I think we as designers do a lot of these things, which you just said, uh, without actually realizing that we do them. Uh, but they create a lot of value for the outside world. What, what do you see as the most undervalued characteristics? Correct? I think is is uh, our ability to deeply understand people, needs mm. and wants. Um, I say that because uh, we give it for granted as a community. It's what we do, of course. Uh, but the business community see designers as good graphic people, good industrial design people, good fashion people. They see how our abilities to create beautiful things. They don't understand that those beautiful things, that by the way are also 
functional. It's all about that, you know, uh, uh, amazing balance between functionality and emotion, both in the things we produce, in the service we design, in the experience we create, you know, that perfect balance come from a deep understanding of human beings. They don't get it. They think that is that's owned by the consumer insights community, eventually by the marketing community. Well, that's something big that we do. We think we, we are aware of it because it's part of who we are, but often we forget that other people don't see it in us. And we need to remind them that we do that. And, and that, that's really an important way for us to create value by understanding people and translating that into meaning. Correct. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. You know, the list you just mentioned of characteristics is quite comprehensive. Where do we find these people? These are like Superman. Yeah, they're really rare. I think I'll give you two answers. One is responsibility of the education system, schools and universities to form this kind of people and to remember and understand that a good design thinker, a good innovator is not about just technical skills. They need to nurture this idea of curiosity, this idea of entrepreneurship, this idea of balancing vision with execution. Uh, you know, I, I would love universities that have courses on nurturing this kind of characteristic. They make every single student aware that this is so, so important. I remember, you know, forget even design universities, but schools, primary schools, high schools. Uh, I remember in, in, when, when I think back about my schools in Italy, many successful people that I know today at my school were not performing very well. They were not doing good at school, uh, but they were, for instance, the representative of the students in the school. They, they were doing, they were organizing amazing parties. They mm. were very entrepreneurial. And so I'm not saying that, you know, you need to do better at school. I was doing very, very well at school and I was also, you know, doing the other things. So I, I'm saying that you need both, you need both, but for people that are really good socially, very high EQ and empathy, that are really good organizers and make things happen, schools don't have an ability to reward them. It's not part of the curriculum. Or I think in the US, the situation is a little bit better than in Europe, actually. Is it? Yeah, I mean, there is some, you know, the social activities are, are part of the curriculum. I mean, it's better, but it's, we're not there yet. You know, we're, it's not all the way to bright. But if I remember the situation in Italy, was not that good. So mm -hmm. how can we reward that component, but not just reward, train that component? Because once again, I was doing very well at school, but this other part that I learned, I mean, that was part of my DNA, you know, I'm very social, very outgoing, I made things happen and everything, but I was totally unaware for many, many years, even after school, that that was so crazy important for my professional journey. I realized later, looking back and think and looking at how I was behaving and then I strategize over it. Once you become aware of something, then you can take it to the next level. You can leverage it more and more and more. So let's teach these kids from the beginning, you know, this idea of entrepreneurship and let's reward, nurture it, teach it and reward it. You heard the second point because you said two things and you said the responsibility of the educational system. Where do we find these people and what was yeah, the second right. point? So the, the second part of the answer, the probably is the more direct answer, is that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that they are really difficult to find. Many of these characteristics are not just the ones 
of the design are the characteristic of the entrepreneur. In fact, in many of my speeches and then in some of the papers I brought, I, I differentiate the characteristics of the designer, the kind of design talents I search, from the characteristics of the design thinker, or call it innovator, call it the way you want. It's design thinker because there is that component of, you know, design thinking is the connection between empathy, strategy, and prototyping that we mentioned earlier. And this ability to prototype is typical of the design community. But if you're not a designer, you don't like to be called design thinker, call it innovation thinking, whatever you want. And you know, some of the characteristics are therefore are broader than just the pure design community. And, and therefore is not something that you learn at school or you can find in specific kind of communities. And, and that's why it's all about searching those talents um, through recruiters, through special, uh, specific, you know, personal networking, going to conferences and see people talking, looking at amazing work and try to get in touch with those people. And once you meet them, you take them in and then you try to, to retain them. And then you try to train, you know, especially younger people on that. Some of my most successful people at, at PepsiCo are actually people that I found when they were really, really young, in my past life at 3M, out of schools, uh, extremely talented people, and then we've been uh, nurturing them, we've been training them from within, in 3M first, and then some of them uh, stayed there and some of them came with me to PepsiCo. Um, so it's, it's part of that, you know, there is also that component. It's when you find them, keep them and, and multiply them. <laughs> <laughs> Multiplying happens uh, automatically, I guess. Uh, the last topic really uh, ties into what we're talking about, I think. Um, and it's called new culture. Do you have a question starter? How can we, how can we build a new culture that happened to, in my case, that happened to be a design culture, but it could be any new culture within an established organization? Well, you know, it's very difficult when you work in an established organization. Think PepsiCo. PepsiCo is 265,000 employees, 60, more than $60 billion of revenue, uh, 20 brands above a billion dollars and, and 40 brands above the $500 million. So it's huge. It's huge. And, and it's successful. So imagine, you know, to build a new culture within an organization like this is not easy at all. There are a variety of different steps. Uh, that I defined already uh, when I was at 3M, but just looking back, you know, I'm a practitioner, but then I look back at what happened, what I did and what I failed, and then I try to extract lessons and build these strategies and theories that then I take with me in my life. And so if I think about how to build that new culture, well, first of all, you need to bring in the best talents in that culture. The, you know, in the design world, the most extraordinary design talent, starting with the leader, the people under, and many people probably listening to us right now are thinking, of course, I mean, you're building something new and big. You as a big corporation have a lot of resources to hire, you know, whoever you want. Why not? Well, why not is that many of these big organizations, if they have a specific strength, let's say 3M is amazing in R&D, for them, it's very easy to attract talents in that area. But it's very difficult to attract talents in an area that is a weakness. And they are also afraid that they may not be able to retain them. So it's not just about the ability. You know, eventually with money, at the end of the day, you may be able to attract them. But the reality is that even when you attract them, 
they may last a month, yeah, six yeah, months, yeah, yeah. And either be rejected by the organization or leave. So first of all, have the courage to attract the best talents. And this, in this, all the credit goes in PepsiCo, for instance, to Indra Nui, our CEO, and to Brad Jakeman, that back then, five years ago, was the head of the president of Global Beverage. So these two people decided that the courage to start. Then you need to be protected from the top because any organization will try to protect the status quo and will reject anything is new. It is part of, not just of organizations, it's part of our human nature as people, each of us. We try to protect the status quo. Very few people embrace change because change implies risk and, and it's difficult and it's not efficient, uh, by the way. So you need the top. It could be the CEO, but it could be also somebody below the CEO, but it could mm -hmm. be at, it needs to be at the top of the company to protect the, uh, the, new, the newcomer. And then you, you also need uh, a push from the, from the bottom up. If you just have protection from the top and push uh, top down, you go nowhere. And without making any specific names, but we saw the failure of designing big corporations in the past 15 years because of this, because it was imposed from the top and then they were not able to take the entire organization with them. So bottom up what it means, in my point, from my point of view, it means to identify what I call the co-conspirators inside the organization. So essentially those people that in a way or the other understand what you are trying to do, understand the design could help the company changing, that they have some form of responsibility, they drive brands or they drive projects, and with them, you start to build proof points or quick wins. Uh, projects where you show the value of design, even if they're not perfect, because at the beginning it would be very hard to do something perfect. Take some trade-offs, but the necessary trade-offs to get to market with something that's gonna be anyway successful, and they can show the company concretely and quickly that design or that new culture in general can build value. And this is so powerful because then everybody will try to follow you. And I could go on if you want, or I, I can... No, I, I, have a, I have a question because what you said, you reflected on your lessons back in 3M. Let's take a second to reflect on what you already learned at PepsiCo. So if you, had, if you got the chance to do it all over again, what would you have done differently? Of, or what is the biggest lesson you got from the recent years? In PepsiCo, well, this is a good question. You know, I when I joined, if we talk about building the culture, yeah. When I joined, I had the uh, fortune of having tried for ten years in 3M. Yeah. So in 3M, I made my mistakes. I made my my learning and everything. So when I joined PepsiCo, I was pretty clear about what moves to do, and and so if I would go back. You know, I will do exactly what we did. And, and if, you know, today we have more than 10 design centers around the world, you know, several hundreds people. And if I was asking anybody in the company or even myself five years ago when I joined, do you think you will be where, you, you know, where we are today in five years? I would, I would have said probably not. It would take more years. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy of how, how the things went in, in the past year. So, so, because time is flying by, but what is the biggest contributor to the fact that you are where you are today? What is the biggest success factor? If you had to single out one thing. Um, 
Well, to single out one is difficult, so but I will try to do it. But let me single out a few, and then I will single out one out of the yeah. few. Is vision and dreaming on one side, and then ability, understanding that you need to execute, and ability to execute is the other. And then taking the company with you is the third. Because many people can have eventually the two that are already very difficult, but then if they don't take the entire organization with them, you go nowhere. And if I need them to single out something, you know, out of these three come the quick wins, the proof points I was talking about before. So if we didn't have uh, amazing projects like Spire, this smartphone and that has been changing our equipment strategy and has been reinforcing many partnerships with existing customers and attract, attracting new or the redesign of Pepsi early on, four years ago, so the full visual identity system, the full, the, the full strategy that for the first time in history connected all the different countries around the world around that strategy. Those two were my first quick wins, my first proof points. Without those, we would have had a very hard time. Yeah, well, that, that's the fundamental. That's the, re, that's, the, that's the moment you build credibility. Correct. Uh, and people give you a seat at the table. See, the, the table and resources. Very few people were hired from the center in the beginning. Mm -hmm. With those few people, I beat my proof points, and then the hundreds of people after were all funded one by one, you know, five at a time, six at a time, by the brand's owners, the business people. And that's powerful because it means that you're engaging with them. They're ready to put some money on you and, and you work with them. There is a big learning that one of the executive vice presidents of 3M, Mr. Monozari, gave me many years ago. I went to his office in St. Paul and I was a kid essentially still, on my, on my late 20s. And many people in, you know, in, in 3M were like, oh, we love you, we love what you're doing with design. So I was so excited, things were moving in the right direction. And they were, they were. But they wanted to, things to move fast. And I was believing all these people. They were so, you know, engaged with me. And Mo told me something, Monozari told me something. He told me, listen, do not believe anybody that tells you, you know, that they believe in you and they believe in design because these people do have resources. They do have budgets, they do have money. So if they're until they put the money on the table and they support you financially and they invest in you and so they are together with you in that, do not believe them because they're deciding to do with the money something else that is more of a priority for them than design. And that was for me a huge learning. Today, if you don't invest with me, you know, I'm talking about money now, but it could be also an emotional investment. You know, you need to be with me. If you're not with me, with stake on the game, then you're not committed. And, and, and this is very important because in a passive aggressive kind of uh, culture that you can find in many of these organizations around the world, you need to understand from the beginning, right away, as fast as possible, who is really with you and who is instead pushing back without you even realizing it. Because mm -hmm. if you want, you may think you're doing progresses and then after one year or two, you will realize that you are not and sometimes it would be too late because you lost your opportunity right. to show something and you're out. Right. Mm. Mauro, I know you didn't prepare this one, but um, is there a question you'd like to ask the people who are watching this or listening this episode? Is there, do you have a question for us? Yeah. What is the role? Of, what do you think? This, what kind of role 
you think designers should play in business in the future. It's somehow connected to the, you know, the first topic we touched this morning. I, I see a lot of designers that are frustrated because we don't own innovation, because business doesn't understand us, because they all they, they destroy everything we, you know, we think of. Okay, are we ready? Are you designers ready to own innovation, to own entrepreneurship, to drive things to market? Uh, innovation is not just about the good idea, the concept. That's invention. Innovation is to transform that good idea in something that goes to market and is successful in the market. And therefore, you need to manage all the constraints you have between the good idea and the market. Are we ready as a community to play the role? Are you, designer, listening to us, ready to do that? What do you think? Leave your thoughts and ideas down below in the comments. Really, it's a good provoking uh, question. That's, uh, I wasn't expecting anything less. <laughs> Mauro, uh, that was it. Uh, we had the time for this uh, in this episode. So I want to thank you for sharing some of the topics that are on your mind uh, today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. and It's been fun. So that was it for this episode. Don't forget to check out our YouTube page for more exclusive content with Mauro. And if you're ready to take your service design skills to the next level, head over to learn.servicedesignshow.com where you'll find courses by leading service design experts that dig deeper into the topics we talk about on the show. Thanks again for listening to the Service Design Show. It was great having you. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll catch you in two weeks time with a brand new episode. See you then.